Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome back. Yes, it's episode 30 of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. Uh, I am your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday, and I hope, uh, first of all, uh, and most importantly, I hope everyone and everyone's family is doing as well as possible, staying healthy, and, uh, you know, bunkering down and trying to get through this uh, pandemic here, and uh, which has not only shut down hockey, but has shut down most of uh, the life we had gotten used to, and uh, now we're dealing with our new normal. But yeah, we're going to uh, spend some time and uh, talk a little bit of uh, Islanders hockey here, and uh, I'll get to some of your answers. No guest on this episode, um, but I hope you've enjoyed the previous episode, that uh, long chat I had with Chico Resch, and uh, in the future there should be some more uh, more audio from some of the Islander alumni. Uh, I hope you've been checking out the uh, the series Newsday has been doing on the 1980 New York Islanders Stanley Cup win, 40th anniversary of that. We've uh, been trying to do at least one story each week. Um, the last one I did, uh, let's see, what I did a couple on Billy Smith, and then uh, I also did something, uh, I believe, in this Monday's paper, on the relationship between Bill Torrey and Coach Al Arbor and how that kind of moved the Islanders franchise along. Coming up next, I'll be writing about the uh, transition of the captaincy from Clark Gillies to Denny Potvin for the 1979-80 season and how that uh, fit into the Stanley Cup championship picture, and also uh, a little bit maybe about how reacquiring, how Bill Torrey reacquiring uh, Denny's brother Jean Potvin uh, fit into that whole puzzle there. That, that'll be coming up uh, hopefully in this Sunday's Newsday. Um, as we speak, uh, I am speaking to you on May 6th, and uh, uh, as I say, I, I hope everyone is healthy, and uh, also uh, this weekend, uh, Wishing every mother out there a happy Mother's Day, uh, sending my mom all the best wishes. I'm really sorry not to be able to be with her on that day, and also to my wife. She's the mom to uh, my two beautiful daughters. <laughs> One of the funny things about being quarantined here in a, in a home with uh, two, you know, your, your two daughters who you remember raising as little kids, and, and now obviously they're, they're pretty much grown women at, at you know, 23, and my uh, younger daughter has a birthday this weekend. She's going to turn 20, so officially I will have no teenage daughters left. Um, you know, you <laughs> you kind of forget that, uh, you know, not everyone is on your timeline. So it's, it's about a quarter to uh, 12 here. You know, uh, the day's kind of moving along. Uh, I've been up since about, you know, I did a radio interview this morning. I've been up since about... I don't know, 7.38 this morning, and, you know, even though she's only got a few more days as a teenager, teenagers just have different sleep patterns, so, uh, you know, getting the kids up before noon some days is just a little, uh, that's a difficult chore, and obviously, you know, other than getting to class or, or whatnot, there's really no reason to be up, so, you know, I'm not saying anything about that, I just, <laughs> you you forget, because basically me and my wife had gotten to the stage of our lives where we were empty nesters, and now we're back uh, where the, the the nest is full. And you know what? To be honest, I'm really enjoying that. I I really you know love my family, so it's it's been a blessing in disguise to be able to uh, spend this time with them. But it's just funny you you're spending your whole day and you're just wondering when the kids are going to wake up. So uh, that has nothing to do with the Islanders, but <laughs> I just you know. Uh, podcast, just random thoughts here, and uh, obviously one of the things I've uh, tried to do during this time is listen to some of the other podcasts and get a sense of, you know, what what does, you know, what, what works, what doesn't, and, uh, you know, I, I keep being told that these are 
this shouldn't be a radio show. This should just be kind of a casual conversation, uh, connecting with uh, the listener. You being the listener, me being the uh, person who's trying to connect here. So uh, anyway, as far as Islanders news, you know, um, the, the NHL had its board of governors or a board of governors meeting on uh, a video conference. I shouldn't say a meeting, but, you know, they 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 all exchanged ideas on Monday. And the big topic there was when to hold the NHL draft and as it relates to, you know, are they going to be able to play hockey again? And, uh, you know, no decisions as uh, Bill Daly emailed me, the deputy commissioner emailed me after the uh, uh, the meeting on Monday to say it was a good discussion, but no decisions were made and no timeline on decisions. But everyone is, you know, if you're going to organize, uh, you know, what everyone is going is expecting to be a draft that is going to look somewhat like what the NFL did in April, you know, video conferencing and uh, everyone separate and, uh, you know, um, you're, you're really going to have to start laying the groundwork. So everyone is expecting a, a yay or an A on a, a June draft, if not this week, then by sometime next week. And, and also, you know, the NHL is also hoping that uh, with, with some of the, uh, you know, states starting to reopen, you know, businesses and uh, trying to get life moving again. I think I read something this morning where 43 of the 50 states have, have at, you know, in some form or another, have started reopening. Um, obviously, you know, New York being the hotspot that it is, particularly Long Island and New York City, you know, things are not you know, in that, in that sphere as of yet. But, but the, the NHL's hope is that by mid to late May, they will be able to open, uh, the team facilities, you know, go to what is called phase two of this COVID, uh, response. And that would be opening up team facilities to small group workouts. And obviously still, you know, a a lot of hurdles probably to get between point A and point B, you want to make sure everyone is safe. You want to make sure that you don't ignite a second wave, you know, uh, of outbreaks, you know, by getting people together too quickly. But again, the hope is by the end of this month um, that the NHL will be able to tell its players, you know, they can use team facilities in small groups uh, to resume skating. And I think that would be a welcome relief. Uh, to all the players who have been off the ice and, you know, who who just are going to need some time even before, you know, a a second training camp here, uh, before we even think about getting them into game action, you know, without, you know, risking their their health otherwise. You know, uh, there's obviously a health risk with the COVID and the coronavirus uh, to having groups of people, but there's also the health risk of having these guys out on the ice if they're not properly conditioned. And, you know, uh, talking to an agent a couple of weeks ago, there's a big concern over groin and hamstring and other kind of leg injuries uh, if the players are not uh, prepared properly. Um, But still, you know, the NHL is is trying to move in that direction uh, with the ultimate goal of being able to resume play. Now, uh, I I certainly don't expect any resumption of play to happen anytime before July, and, and even that might be a little bit optimistic. Uh, you just, you know, you hear all sorts of different things. But the NHL is certainly, uh, as it should be, is trying to push in that direction at least to to, to see if they can uh, salvage anything out of the season and certainly salvage the playoffs. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of teams hurting financially and uh, being able to resume play here uh, would, would get you... Uh, would would get you uh you know at least some tev- te- television revenue back uh which is you know any money the league can make is is critical i would think at this point not just you know i i think that applies to uh everyone really you know uh uh revenues are down across the board everywhere um and uh you know people are certainly hurting uh going on unemployment so uh you know in the in the big picture 
you know, maybe hockey doesn't seem all that important, but, you know, it is a business. It is their business. And, uh, uh, and it is also entertainment. And I think it would be a good diversion uh, for people looking for something if there were able to be hockey games on TV. How, what, how, how when, or what form that would take, uh, there are all questions to be answered that uh, return to committee uh, return to play committee that the NHLPA has set up has certainly raised a few concerns uh, about the idea of, you know, gathering basically four tournaments, you know, picking four sites, four NHL sites, and basically, you know, sequestering uh, either seven or eight teams at each site. Um, and, you know, that, that could be if, if they play some of the regular season and then go into the playoffs, you're talking about, you know, the Stanley Cup champions, you know, uh, potentially being sequestered in one area or, you know, uh, for, for three months or so. And I think there were some concerns raised by the players uh, that that, you know, was, especially for those with uh, wives and, and children, that was not, uh, you know, an optimum solution there. But uh, as I say, many, many obstacles to restarting and, and getting a, a, a model for what, what would be the best way for the NHL to get, get its players back on the ice. Um, you know, Gary Bettman keeps saying nothing ruled in, nothing ruled out, no decisions. I have to think things have started to be ruled out at this point. Certainly the uh, playing at non-NHL sites as a neutral site, you know, going to a place like North Dakota uh, or, or New Hampshire, I think uh, stuff like that has been ruled out. I think they're centering on you know, uh, on NHL sites uh, that can accommodate multiple teams. Um, latest report is, I, I saw, I, I think it was, what, uh, anywhere from 11 to 14 uh, teams were bidding to, to host those, you know, those things. And you would assume there would be four four spots, maybe one for each division. Or nah, I shouldn't say one for each division, but it, it will probably be done more on a geographic basis. Um, so, you know, four or five sites, uh, seven, eight teams, whatever, however it works out. I, I don't think the particulars there have been worked out. But getting back to the draft, um, you know, spoke to Lou Lamarillo about it uh, the other week, and he was, uh, he did pay close attention to the NFL draft. As I said, the NFL conducted its draft in April via video conferencing over three days, and it drew, you know, huge television ratings, obviously, because, you know, <laughs> what's the competition? People are starved for live sporting events, and, and that, and that served as a live sporting event. It got you thinking about next season and it got you excited about your team. Um, so, you know, I, I think the NHL certainly looked at that and, and think, you know, believes it would be a good idea to get the NHL back into the public consciousness, uh, in, in terms of that, you know, but, but the, the issue, the NFL has it a little easier because its season is not, slated to start until September, the regular season, whereas the NHL is still, you know, teams have played between 68 and 72 games of an 82-game schedule. So you're, you're, you're still in the thick of the 2019-2020 the season, and, you know, if you're talking about getting the draft going in June, which, by the way, I, I have no issues with uh, conducting the draft before uh, the play resumes, you know, uh, I don't, I, I don't have any major issues with that. I just think there needs to be, you know, obviously figuring out the conditional picks would be an issue, figuring out draft selection. Those are, those are all hurdles to overcome, but I, I think they're, they're solvable hurdles. Um, you know, do it on point percentage and, and, you know, you're going to wait, uh, I would think a, a smaller lottery, you know, and really the teams at the bottom, you know, like the Red Wings and Senators are, are going to have a much better chance of not only securing, you know, the, the top overall pick, but not sliding down very far at all. Um, 
So, but I, I think all those obstacles can be overcome, and uh, I, I would not be opposed to a draft in June. Um, you know, certainly it would give me, you know, added work, which is good. I'm not, I'm not saying, uh, I shouldn't say added work. It would give me some work here, um, you know, to to forge ahead and, and to plan for. Um, so I, I think the NHL certainly is on board with that notion that it, it would be good to have an event. It would be good to give some content to its television partners. My my sense is, or you know, that the general managers uh, need to be convinced by Gary Bettman that a June draft is the most beneficial thing for the league overall. Um, you know, a lot of the draft preparation has been done. You know, and the teams can hold their Zoom scouting meetings rather than you know a, a team gathering together for its scouting meetings and its draft preparation. I, I don't think those things will be an issue. Um, you know, uh, Lou Lamorello was talking about you know you're you're missing out on scouting some of the stuff. Uh, there's no Memorial Cup this year. You know, the college seasons ended early. Uh, Frozen Four type, you know, places, uh, you know, where you would go scout players live between here and the draft. Uh, th- those are not available anymore. But, you know, Lou said, uh, you know, every game is available online. So, it, you know, it, it's always better to see live, but it's not like the resources aren't there. Uh, for the Islanders and the, the other 30 NHL teams as they would prepare for a draft. So I, I would expect a decision on, uh, on you know, when the draft is coming up very soon because, you know, like I say, if they're going to hold it in June, they, they probably have a, a small window to announce that and to start making the preparation. So if they are going to have it in June, I, I would certainly expect a decision, if not this week, by early next week. Um, and like I said, I, I got no problems with it. I, I think if you do have a draft in June, you're going to have to, at the same time, kind of announce everything else, uh, set out the parameters for you know what play is going to look like when you come back is that way, you know, some of the conditional stuff makes more sense. Some of how you're going to, you know, figure out the draft selection is going to make more sense. You just have to, you know, if you're going to answer that one question, I think you have to answer a lot of questions at once. And that may be the holdup in, uh, in, in, in announcing when the draft is going to be beyond trying to convince you know, all the GMs that this is the most beneficial thing for the league. And speaking of a, a holdup here, <laughs> you know, uh, the calendar flipped over to May, May 1st, and that was the day that uh, Ilya Sorokin, the Russian goalie, could officially sign with the Islanders. You know, his KHL contract with uh, Siska Moscow uh, expired on April 30th, so he is now free to sign with the Islanders. And I think the expectation was ding, 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 May 1st. And he signs a contract. And now, uh, judging from what I'm seeing uh, on the Twitter feed, you know, there's a little bit of nervousness that he was not um, immediately signed. And uh, I I would say, you know, probably I I would not be concerned. I I would say calm down. I, I think he is going to get signed here. I, I think, you know, Lou Lamarillo always says when you have time, you use it. And and in this instance, I don't think it's necessarily the Islanders and Lou that's using the time. I, I think it's Sorokin and his representation. You know, what what does he get by signing this minute? You know, there's uh, there's so much uncertainty as to when the NHL may or may not play, and there's some uncertainty as to how big the rosters are going to be and how contracts can be, you know, structured. And and right now he would have to come in on an entry-level deal. Um, you know, I, I've seen discussion that, you know, some of the holdup may be that he's hoping that if the NHL is able to resume, he can sign his entry-level deal with the understanding that, you know, he burns it and then becomes a restricted free agent and winds up with a much better deal than next year. But as of now, the NHL, you know, there there's no definition there as to what can or cannot be done in terms of 
you know, that kind of contract maneuvering, uh, just basically because there's no answers yet on whether there's a season or not. So I, I, I'm, I, I'm pretty certain that that's what the holdup is, that, you know, Sorokin's representation is just trying to get a better sense of uh, the landscape and, and what they can do best for their client monetarily. Um, certainly, you know, he's a little restricted in the entry level deal, not as much, uh, you know, if he was able to get, you know, some kind of bridge or other kind of RFA deal. So I, I, I certainly expect Sorokin, uh, to be signed. Um, I, I can't give you a timeline on that because I don't think, uh, Sorokin's representation or Lou have a good idea of a, a, a timeline on that. I, I think, more parameters need to be set. And once those parameters are laid out, then I, I, I think that contract will be worked out. Um, but, you know, that's, uh, again, it was in April when it was reported uh, in Russia that, you know, he was not going to re- resign with Cisco Moscow. Uh, certainly, you know, I, I think everyone was calmed a little bit that he is eventually going to wind up with the Islanders and that, that will be exciting for the franchise. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, like I said, we'll just have to see how this plays out. And, uh, certainly as soon as he does sign, I'll, I'll probably throw up, you know, a podcast, you know, specifically on Sorokin just because he's been such a storyline for this franchise uh it seems ever since he was drafted in 2014 um you know you, you've been waiting 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 you you've seen him develop in the KHL and you know how good he's become there and you know leading his team to the championship in 2019 winning their equivalent to the Con Smythe as the uh playoff MVP uh, and, and certainly seeing how his, uh, you know, his acquaintance, his friend, uh, Shesterkin has played for the Rangers, you know, since January. It gets you very excited uh, for when Ilya Sorokin finally does uh, put on a, a, an Islanders sweater and plays for the team. And uh, the, the expectation is that he will be, whenever and whatever next season is, uh, for sure, uh, he he will be within the franchise. Um, so, uh, you know, that's basically what I've got. And then what you've got uh, are some uh, questions via Twitter. We haven't done this for a while. We've, we've had interviews and stuff. Um, but, but this week's episode is really all about Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. I ended the first segment talking about Ilya Sorokin, and uh, like I said, these questions were queued up in the uh, in the pool on uh, uh, last week. So Matt um, Matt asked, and and the dateline on that or the date on that was April twenty seventh. Uh, the White Whale signs with the Islanders May first, and uh, this may be the most definitive answer I've ever given on Andrew's answers. No, no, he's not going to sign on May first. Um, but as I just mentioned, uh, you know, previous seconds ago, uh, he, I, I do believe certainly he does sign with the organization. Uh, it just did not happen on May 1st for the reasons I went over mainly that I, I think the landscape is ever changing and, uh, Sorokin's representation wants to get the best deal possible, uh, you know, seeing what the landscape might be. Um, JC asks, and again, uh, I see the humor in this, uh, will Lou ever do anything about the lack of scoring? It feels like they have not scored in over a month. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, let's see. Uh, last goal they scored was, uh, would they play on March 10th at Vancouver? Um, lost 5-4 in a shootout. Um, so yeah, it's been over a month since they've scored a goal. Uh, seriously though, and, and you know, if there was some seriousness in that question, you know, one of the shames of halting here, and and again, when I say that, I am not in any way equating hockey to, you know, life and, and health concerns or anything like that. In terms of hockey, one of the, you know, shames here is that, you know, J.G. Pajot, after coming over from the Senators, um, you know, his development and, and, and 
you know, developing a comfort level with the Islanders was obviously stunted. Um, you, you saw him working in. I, I think he had high expectations for himself, put a little pressure on himself, uh, got off to a good start, had sort of plateaued. Um, you know, but if you talk about Lou doing anything about a lack of scoring, you know, I, I, I do think he addressed that or, or at least tried to with Pajot. And, and I would have been really curious to see how that played out the rest of the season. Um, Michael, Michael Rizzi says, do you think the Islanders will be players in free agency whenever that may be? If so, who do you see them going after? Um, you know, Again, you talk about shifting landscapes. If if the salary cap remains flat at eighty one point five million, rather than going up to the eighty four, it was or between eighty four and eighty eight that it was initially projected to be. Let, let's say you know, almost a best case scenario because uh, you know the the loss of revenue here is incredibly significant. Uh, as it relates to the CBA and, and formulating next year's salary cap. And, and I think there's going to be have to be some special discompensation there in, in terms of uh, getting next year's salary cap figured out. So I, I'm going to assume that the salary cap is going to remain flat at 81.5. Um, and if that is the case with the Islanders having to uh, re-sign Matthew Barzell as a restricted free agent, albeit without arbitration rights, and also having to sign uh, defenseman Devontae's and Ryan Pulak as RFAs with arbitration eligibility, the Islanders are going to be right up against it. And, and this is even, you know, I, I think you take Thomas Grice's contract out of the mix with, as we've talked about, Sorokin coming in. But if Sorokin is able to burn the entry-level deal this season somehow, um, and, and I'm not saying that's a certainty at all, but let's just say now he has to be re-signed as an RFA. I, I don't see the Islanders being players uh, on the UFA market, but bigger picture, I, I don't think the UFA market, the, the UFA market may be the most impacted market within hockey, within the NHL when we do come out of this going into next season. Uh, the, the deals, you know, probably are just not going to be at the level that these guys thought they were going to be at. Like, you know, I, I think we all thought, you know, Taylor Hall was going to make, you know, probably minimum $10 million a season. Can I see that happening now? I, I, I'm not sure that I can. I, I don't think he gets that. You know, talking to Ryan Pulak, um about his upcoming contract negotiations. Uh, you know, he said, and again, I, I, I will preface, preface this by saying that Ryan prefaced it by saying his contract situation pales in comparison to everything else going on. So, you know, don't take this as, you know, a, a, an athlete whining about not getting as much money as he thought he was going to get. That's not the case at all. But Ryan being... Uh, realistic about it, says he knows this is going to have an impact on his earning potential, you know, in his next contract. And that's just a reality. And, you know, I, I think the Islanders are going to have to be focused on, on those three main RFAs and potentially, you know, another uh, RFA there. And uh, I think that's going to be their main focus in the off season. And uh, I really don't see him having a lot of wiggle room to, to, to be major players on, on a UFA market uh, as it stands right now. Now, a, again, as I say, changing landscapes and, you know, things may be altered. And if the NHL is smart, they, they will alter things to, uh, you know, take a, a long view on these things. Um, but, but for now, I, I think it's going to be very tough financially for the Islanders to make any sort of real impact on, on the UFA market. Um, let's see. Uh, Melissa says, if you were quarantined with any Islanders roster player, who would you want to be stuck with? Also, who would you not want to be quarantined with? Uh, <laughs> and Melissa, I hope you and your family are well, as I, I wish that for everyone. And thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I'm thinking, I, I'm wondering, 
you know, if you could ask every Islander player, which sports writer, and not that there's a ton, you know, covering the team, you know, between me and Arthur and Corey, and, you know, Molly or Brett, you know, which of the guys around the team uh, on a regular basis, they would not want to be quarantined with. I'm really wondering where I would rank in that poll. Because <laughs> sometimes I don't even like living with myself. But uh, uh, let's see. If you were quarantined with any Islander roster player, who would you want to be stuck with? I mean, the obvious answer probably would be, uh, you know, living with Johnny Boychuk would probably be hysterical because he's just a good-natured, funny guy. And, and I, I think if I was stuck in self-quarantine, he, I'm sure he's keeping everyone's spirits up in his household. So I think Johnny Boychuk would be a very uh, obvious answer. Uh, you know, Cal Clutterbuck, you know, I, I have great conversations with Cal. Um, I, I really enjoy speaking with him. I think I, I find him highly intelligent and, and just able to speak on a, a, a ton of different subjects there. Um, so he, he wouldn't be a bad guy to be, you know, stuck with, although, you know, he'd probably, uh, now that golf courses are being opened up. I'm sure he's trying to hit the ball a, a little bit. You know, I wouldn't mind being quarantined with, you know, any of the guys on the team that, that play guitar, you know, Jordan or a, any of those guys bring my drum set and, you know, maybe we could have some fun with that. And, uh, you know, who would I not want to be quarantined with? <laughs> That's a tough question to ask as I go around the room. I mean, because people would imply me answering that by saying, oh, there's a guy, you know, I don't like, and that would not be the case. Um, Let's see. SAB says, what classic NHL game playoff series have you found yourself watching recently? Do you watch any classics again from a game series you covered? Any stories from them? And I'll I'll be honest with you. You know, the the fun to me uh, about sports is not knowing the outcome. Uh, I I guess it's like, you know, me seeing a movie twice, you know, and and I know my my family will scream at me because I'll watch any James Bond film at any time and just watch it over and over again. Um, that, That aside, you know, I haven't really focused in on anything, you know, seeing, going back and I, I know they, uh, they showed, uh, MSG showed all the Islander cup clinchers and, and I'm obviously doing this story on the 80 Islander, uh, uh, playoff run. So, you know, check in on that to, to relive some of the good times. Um, but it, it's not, and again, you know, we, we have, me and my wife made a conscious decision uh, when our girls were very, very young. And in fact, even before the youngest one was born, that we were always only going to have one TV in the house because we didn't want to be in a place where, you know, everyone just separates their own room and watches their own TV. We wanted, you know, TV to be a family activity, as it were, you know, sit down together, watch a movie or something, um... So, you know, I, I, it's not like I'm going down and monopolizing the TV to, 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 to watch old hockey games. You know, I, I did, I did catch the, uh, was it, um, the, the, the Blackhawks clincher against the lightning, uh, in the 2015 Stanley cup final. I, I did see, I, I watched a good portion of that game. And what I remember is the lightning and I was covering the Rangers at the time and then the lightning, uh, beat the Rangers in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final at the Garden. Um, and, uh, you know, I, after I wrote all my stories, I, I was walking out down near that famous ramp at the Garden. Uh, I was going out. Uh, I was down there. I think I was saying goodbye to some of the Zamboni guys for the, uh, you know, for the time being because that was obviously the end of the season there. Um, and I remember being down there and... Uh, and Brian Boyle, who, you know, I, I am, you know, what's the word? I, I, it's hard for me to be objective about this guy. I mean, he's he's become a, a good friend, and I think, and it's not just me. He's become a good friend to just about everyone he meets. So, uh, you know, Brian Boyle was walking out, and he had, you know, I had covered him with the Rangers, and, uh, he, you know, he was going on to play in the Stanley Cup final for the second straight season. 
Um, you know, obviously he had been in in the 2014 Stanley Cup final as the Rangers lost to the Kings in five. So, uh, you know, he walked past and we chatted and I congratulated him. And uh, I, I remember, I don't know if I hit him on the shoulders, you know, tapped him on the shoulders. I don't know if I could reach his shoulders, but I said something to like to him that, you know, like, now go win the cup or, or something like that. <laughs> you know, he smiled and he said he was certainly going to try and do that. But, uh, you know, it's moments like that that you remember, uh, really. Um, Let's see, and, and and I don't think they're related, but uh, Thomas Boyle asks, do you see the NHL opening up in the months to come? And, uh, you know, we've, we've obviously debated back and forth, and every time I talk to Lou Lamarillo, he says he's more and more and more confident that, you know, it's going to happen. I, I'm not in on the NHL meetings in terms of, listening to what Gary is telling the teams. You know, I'm not in there listening to the medical experts telling Gary what they're seeing and hearing. Um, So this is just my own feeling um, because, like you, I'm basically just in my house, you know, 24-7. You know, I try and get out to, you know, get a run or a bike in. You know, I'm I'm doing low errands. I don't want to say I'm a shut-in. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. Basically, I'm living my life in my house and there really doesn't seem to be an end to it, uh, especially in New York. So I got to be honest, like every time they they, they talk about we're going to do this, we're going to try and reopen this, we're going to try and do it this way. Like my my brain just throws up like seven reasons why that just seems like an impossibility. So me personally, I, I really do see the NHL having a really hard time opening up. Even, you know, they talk about early July or sometime in the summer. I, when I close my eyes, I can't picture that. But, you know, that may say more about my personality than any hard facts. Um, My take is that, you know, probably the next time we see hockey is going to be the 2021 season, whenever that can start. I I just see them having, there's so many obstacles to restarting this season. I mean, I really hope it happens. I I want more than anything to have hockey to cover again, you know, Um, along with everyone being healthy. You know what I'm saying? But I I mean, I'm not rooting against hockey starting. I'm just saying me personally, I'm having a hard time seeing it. And I got to say, I hope I'm 100% wrong about that. Let's see, Cordup says, the past number of the seasons, you've bounced between covering the Devils, Islanders, and Rangers. How have you adjusted to covering different teams, and how does it feel to go back to the Rock or the Garden to work games there again? And, uh, you know, as far as adjusting, it's about making relationships. And, you know, I've been at this, uh, you know, I was... I did an interview with uh, Brian Trottier the other day, and, uh, you know, when I first started covering the NHL, Trottier was covering the Rangers. He was, you know, the first NHL coach I really covered, albeit I think I only got seven or eight games in with Trottier as the Rangers coach before, uh, you know, uh, Glenn Sather uh, uh, let him go and took over for him. Um, but, uh, you know, so the, the point is, the point is I'm getting pretty old here if, if, you know, but I've been doing this since 2003. And, and like you say, you know, I, I did the Rangers for a long, long time, you know, over two different stints, two different papers, uh, you know, pretty much, you know, from 2003 to, to 2016, uh, with a couple of seasons off to cover the New York Jets and then, you know, another season off to switch papers. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I was I covered the Rangers for a long time and I got, you know, a full season in with the Devils and then most of the next season in, the 2017-2018 season with the Devils. And then, uh, you know, that March, March 2018, uh, Newsday hired me to cover the Islanders and uh, I, I'm certainly hoping... Uh, this this Islander gig goes a long, long time, like the Ranger gig did. You know that that is my hope. I, I would love to, you know, in ten years, still be talking to you about Islander hockey. 
Um, how have I adjusted? I mean, the, the nuts and bolts for the most part are, are the same and you get to know people around the league. So it's not like, you know, you have to meet a hundred new people with the, each new gig and it, it's still the same sport. Um, but you do need to learn the players over again. I mean, they're, you know, it's nice when you see familiar faces, like when I went from the Rangers to the Devils, you know, uh, uh, the Devils uh, wound up after the Islanders cut them. Uh, the the, uh, the Devils wound up bringing P.A. Parento, who I had known uh, back from his days with the Rangers and, and a little bit with the Islanders. And, uh, you know, it was great having a familiar face. And then, you know, the Devils bring in Brian Boyle. And that was, that was great to have that face there. Um, but, you know, you get to know the different executives. Uh, you know, obviously with the Islanders, it's it's a little easier because I have a relationship with Lou dating back to when he was with the Devils. Because even though I was covering the Rangers, there there were a lot of times I, I would talk to Lou more than I would talk to Glenn Sather just because, you know, Glenn didn't do a lot of media access. And Lou, you know, even if he is very good at shielding information from you. He is very accessible. He he makes a point, you know, at one point you, you called up his office with the devils and either he picked up the phone himself or he had his, you know, his assistant pick it up, take a message and he would get back to you within 10 minutes. Um, and, and Lou just thought that's the way you do business. And uh, so, you know, as far as adjusting, you know, the routines are a little bit different, you know, going to different practice rinks. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, since I don't live on Long Island, uh, going to cover the Islanders has uh, lengthened my commute a little bit. <laughs> uh, and I've spoken about that. But, um, you know, it, the adjustments have not been incredibly hard. Um, you know, it's still hockey and you still know a lot of the people. So it, with that, I, I felt comfortable and, and more and more comfortable as time goes on. Um, how does it feel to go back to the rock or the garden? It's funny. I, I feel like a, a traded player in a way, uh, you know, you, you hear, you know, Barry Trotz talked about going back to, uh, you know, Washington, you know, after becoming Islanders coach. And it's not necessarily, you know, his old players that he catches up with. It's it's everyone in the arena. It's all the workers, the security guards, the, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the people who work in the, in the, you know, the PR staff, the, uh, the, the people who work in the press boxes. Um, you know, I, I just feel like a traded player and, and, you know, it, it's good to catch up every time I, I go back to the garden, you know, to catch up with Sam Rosen and Joe Micheletti and, and John Giannone and, you know, and the MSG crew there. And the same deal with The Rock, you know, seeing Steve Cangelosi again and and Kenny Danico, um, you know, Matt Laughlin, Chico, you know, it, it, it's it's seeing old friends is what it is. And, and you don't get to, you know... Like with the Islanders, I, you know, I, I see Brendan Burke every day. I see Butchie Goring every day, you know, uh, Greg Picker every day, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I see the the broadcast guys every single day, uh, Chris King, and, and you, you, you become really good friends with all of them. And then all of a sudden, you know, like I said, with uh, the Rangers and Devils, all of a sudden you're not seeing these people every day. And it's just really nice that those chances you get to, you know, sit down, have a meal or just BS with them in the hallway before the game. It's just catching up with good friends. So, uh, you know, I, I always I, I love the games at the Rock or the Garden just because I, I do get to see some friends that, you know, during a busy season, I'm not keeping up with as much as I probably should with. Let's see. Uh, Sorokin says, I believe is how I would pronounce that, uh, says, do you think... Ilya Sorokin will live up to the hype and become an elite goalie once he comes over. And uh, you know what? I I I I don't want to pretend like I'm a, a scout or a, a talent evaluator or anything like that. All I can do is say, like, look at how Shesterkin played for the Rangers, and uh, he certainly, you know, if anything was better than the hype. And I think Ilya Sorokin has a real chance of coming over here and, and being an NHL star. You know, everyone I've talked to, just the talent is there. 
Um, I think the focus is there. Uh, the mentality is there. Uh, I think having, um, you know, Semyon Varlamov here will help. I, I think having Mitch Korn here will help. I think having Pierre, Piero Greco here will help. Um, I, I think Sorokin is really set up to, to, to be a very, very good NHL goalie. Um, David Alderson says, should we get Grabner back for the, uh, for the penalty kill threat the, that he is, assuming he is a cheap acquisition from, oh, he's assuming he would be a cheap acquisition from Arizona. He gets 3.3 million next season. And yeah, you know, Grabner would certainly, you know, would be useful, a, a useful part, but even at 3.3 million, um, I would say that would be high. And, and that's because, I, I think the Islanders have kind of an overabundance of those type of role players there. Um, you know, especially if, you know, if Leo Komarov is is on the roster next season. Um, I, I, I just don't see how Grabner would fit uh, within the makeup that is right now. Yeah, he would be, it would be good for the PK. And I'm not saying, you know, he, he brings a different element than Leo Komarov, but, you know, kind of similar... You know, five on five, they'd probably be playing a similar type role in a way, and and you know the the money is kind of similar there. Uh, I I just don't see the Islanders. You know, if they would have interest in him, I, I don't see how he fits back in. Um, let's see. Uh, besides Sorokin, what other draft picks? Uh, Salo, Koski, Bibo, Jenkins uh, will be signed. Uh, I, I wish I had something for you. I'm, I'm just, I would be grasping at straws right now. I, I know they really like Bibo. Uh, that would not be shocking. I know they like Jenkins's size and skating. So, uh, that would not be a surprise either. Um, I, I, again, you, you talk about shifting landscapes. I, I think the organization is going to have to wait to see how everything, you know, kind of plays out to see what kind of roles there are and and where what would be best for those guys guys like that development um you know here or there Uh, i don't think you can tell yet um let's see steve says i can still smell the rangers fans leather jackets from the coliseum games back in the 90s why do you think this rivalry went cold for so many years i was at the last coliseum game and I think it's back. Do you think it's back? And if so, why? You know, I've had so many coaches and players say to me that the only way to make a true rivalry is to play a team in the playoffs. And and if you're looking for a root cause as to why Rangers-Islanders, if you want to say the rivalry is not what it used to be, um, you know, either one team or the other was not that good for a long time. Um, and they just did not play in the playoffs. And I agree. I think there's a real chance uh, for this rivalry to get really heated. And I think it does start, you know, with both organizations getting these Russian goalies in. And I think, you know, both organizations are still on the upswing. And I think they're going to be competing with each other for playoff spots here, you know, over the next, you know, probably four, five, six years. Um, and I think that will make for a very good rivalry um, or a very good renewed rivalry. Um, I think being back in the Coliseum uh, helps a little, a little bit too. You know, for a while the Rangers were playing in Brooklyn and it was, you know, you talk about 50-50 crowds, you know, at, at the Coliseum. I, I thought in, in Brooklyn it was, you know, it was hard to tell which the home team was at times. Um uh, Domenico JJ says, and I hope all is well with you too. And again, that goes for everyone. Uh, who, if anyone is your favorite Islander of all time? Thanks. Um, and stay safe. You as well. And, and I will say that this, um, just as a player, <laughs> if you're asking me just as a player, and, and there were so many of these guys that I loved watching. Like, I was a huge Kenny Morrow fan. I was a huge Clark Gillies fan. I was a huge Butch Goring fan. Um, you know, Bossy, Trottier, uh, Stefan Pearson, uh, you know, uh, Gordy Lane, Langevin, Merrick. You know, I, I just... 
I thought all those guys were great players, and I was happy when all of them, Bobby Nystrom, you know, when all of them were on the ice. But, you know, there, there's only one guy I ever bought a jersey. Uh, I've only owned really one or gone out and bought one jersey in my life, and that was a Billy Smith jersey. And, you know, I, I, I played goal, I don't want to say I was a goalie. You know, I played goal in our pickup hockey games, and I just, I was fascinated watching him play Pretty much because I, I I don't think I would ever have the stones to play like that. You know, I, I tried. I would, you know, meekly tap guys on the ankles as they were in front of my net. But to to just go all out like Billy Smith did and to just, you know, I, I love the way, you know, I, I don't want to say he was a flopper, but he was very acrobatic. And he made some stay, saves that just were incredible. Um, and he was such a big money playoff goalie um, that, you know, I, I just, I was fascinated by his game. I'm fascinated by goalies in general. I, I always gravitate to them as being a guy I, I watch on the team. But Billy Smith was my guy. Uh, I think I've told this story. I, I went to a, a junior high school that was just 10 blocks from Madison Square Garden, and everyone was a Ranger fan in that neighborhood. And I would walk into school with my blue uh, 31 jersey and just get the snot kicked out of me, you know? Because <laughs> you didn't wear a Billy Smith jersey into Ranger country. But, uh, you know, and, and, and it's funny, because I say as a player, I've never you know, really had the chance to talk to Billy Smith. I saw him uh, at uh, Butch Goring's uh, Jersey retirement. He was up in the uh, press box area in the, in the owner's box. And, uh, and I approached him. I introduced myself. I asked him if I could, you know, ask him a few questions. He very politely declined, said, you know, he was not a player anymore. He really, you know, didn't feel comfortable giving his opinions or anything like that. Very polite about it. Um, but that was really my only interaction with, uh, with Billy Smith. Like I said, I've gotten to know Chico Resch and even Roly Melanson, who was the Devils, uh, who's the Devils goalie coach. I've gotten to know those two guys even more so than Billy. But, you know, there, there was just something about the way Billy played. And I know he's one of those guys, you know, when he's on your team, you love him. If he had been on any other team, he's public enemy number one. But you know what? He, he was on my team and I was just fascinated. And uh, I, I hope you guys got a chance. I wrote a couple of stories about Billy Smith. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago in Newsday. You can find it at newsday.com uh, uh, backslash sports on the Islanders page. We have all the whole series on the uh, 80 Islanders up. And uh, I did a couple of stories on Bill Smith, and I just had so much fun writing him. Um, and, and I just had so much fun talking to the other guys about Billy Smith. They just told these wacky stories. And hopefully maybe you know we can get some of these the stories out on a podcast at a certain point, but, uh, you know, just fascinated by his game and how he conducted himself. And, you know, it, it was in a way that I don't think I could ever uh, do anything. You know, I would be on the handshake line, <laughs> you know, if I was a player, you know, I wouldn't have the gumption to start shooting pucks over the glass because I hated practice and I didn't want to practice anymore. You know, I, I just, that kind of say, it makes me chuckle. It makes his teammates chuckle. Um, I think Chico called him the most unique athlete he had ever been around. And I think that's an apt way to describe Billy Smith. And, you know, someone asked me, you know, what classic games I'm watching. I'm not so much watching the whole games, but I have been on YouTube a lot watching old hockey clips. And I've been watching a lot of... Billy Smith clips. I've been watching a lot of Mike Bossy and uh, Brian Trottier clips and Denny Potvin clips as I, you know, write about them to, you know, kind of refresh the, the brain about how great they were because, you know, let, let's face it, when I was watching them, you know, 80 to 83, you know, I'm, I'm in high school and not even close to graduating. So it, it was a while ago, you know. 
Uh, where was I? Oh, P. Williams says, it may be an odd time to ask, but who do you see as the successor to Lou? Should he hang it up? How long is his contract? Um, and I couldn't find, I, I don't remember reporting on, on the specific length of his contract. For some reason, I want to say either three years or, or five years. It was one of those two. It may be a three-year deal. Um, you know, or, or, you know, I know when he went to Toronto, that's how it was set up three years as the GM, and then he would move on to, to be a consultant. He was just shocked when Brendan Shanahan kind of held him to that. Um, look, the answer is, I think the Islanders will have Lou as long as Lou wants to have the Islanders. Um, as far as a successor, um, I, I certainly think it's being set up to have uh, Lou's son, Chris, uh, groomed for that job. Um, you know, Lou, uh, Chris is running... Uh, Bridgeport right now, and uh, you know, I, I think you know there are no certainties, and you know, obviously the team needs to keep winning, but I, I think it's being geared up for for Chris to kind of you know slide into that spot whenever whenever Lou wants to give up the GM role. Um, let's see, uh, Joseph uh, Duhame says, "Will Pellick be ready if the season resumes over the summer?" Have not gotten a definitive answer on uh, exactly where Pelic is in his rehab. Um, everything I was told was it was trending in the right direction. I, I think they're hoping he can begin skating, I think, this month, uh, I believe, was the hope. Um, will he be ready? Uh, look, I, I think they were, they were saying he was going to be ready for training camp. Um, and to do that, he would have needed to be skating you know, no, no later than June or July. And, you know, and that's him being, you know, ready to compete in September. So, you know, yeah, there, there, I think there's a chance that, you know, if there are games in August, early September, that, that Pellick would be able to play, uh, would, would they put him in? I, I, I think they would, but I, you know, it, it's kind of tough to give an answer just because we're not around the team to see, where he is with his rehab, um, you know, it's tough to get daily updates. Lou has kind of indicated or hinted that that it, w that it would be a possibility. I, I think some of his teammates are hopeful that might be the case. I, I, I certainly know Adam Pellick, even without talking to him, uh, hopes, you know, if there are games in August, he'd be able to participate. But, well, you know, hopefully we'll get to find out about that, you know. Um, and finally, Stu... Uh, with the last question says, outside of your own legendary performances at CBGBs, <laughs> uh, and let me let me just stop there. I, I don't know about legendary, but I, I CBGBs was certainly legendary, and I, I, I did, you know, one one of the highlights um, it was being able to play CBs twice. Uh, once. Um, put together a band with a couple of, I think it was my uh, my first year back from college. So summer between freshman and sophomore year of college, I uh, got together with a couple of high school buddies and we put together a band in the summer and it culminated, we got a slot at CBGB's at the end of the summer. So the band played one show and it was at CB's and I, I thought that was pretty good. And uh, uh, the, the name of that band was the Flippant, that's F-L-I-P-P-A-N-T, the Flippant Simians. Um, and we used Flippant because it was a, a SAT word and, and we used Simians because uh, my, my, idea, uh, my, my idea for this show was to get into a gorilla suit and to start out, you know, come out in full gorilla suit and play a drum solo and then do our set. And gorilla suits are really, really, really hot. <laughs> and I, I just thought I was, uh, we, and, and also I, I thought the, how egotistical it would be of me to come out and the first in the gorilla suit at CB's and, and do a drum solo. So it, it, quickly that, that, that got thrown to the wayside, but, uh, the, the, the name stuck flipping Simeons and then we played a half hour set and it was just absolutely wonderful. And <laughs> I actually remember my folks, um, my folks came to that gig and they knew nothing uh, my parents don't even like 
rock. They don't like anything other than opera or classical music. So they come out to CB's to see their son perform. And at one point, my dad had to go down to the bathroom, at, at the men's room at CBGB's. And I don't know if any of you ever, ever went down to the men's room at, at CB's, but it was just about the dirtiest place on the planet. <laughs> I mean, in, in all ways, it, it was just awful. And my dad's face when he came back up the stairs was just, it was priceless. He was in shock at, at what he, <laughs> you know. So, and then, and when, when was it? When I worked in Oneonta, put together another band, um, this one called Undecided. Um, and, and we played, we, we actually were together for a couple of years. We, we played, you know, we played up in Syracuse. We played a bunch of places in New York, played in Oneonta a few, uh, a bunch, but, uh, we got a slot at CBGB. So we all drove down and, uh, and, 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 and played there. And that, that was, that was fun. I, I did take, uh, uh, in in our last song, there was about a uh, you know a twenty second interlude where I did throw a little bit of a cheesy drum solo in there on the rototom. So th- that that was fun. Um, but other than my legendary performances, which I, I I believe are not legendary, who performed the most impressive drum solo you've ever seen in person? Um, you know that's it's tough because. I am such a bad drummer. Whenever I see a good drummer, I am just so amazed at how good they are. <laughs> you know the, what they're able to do. But you know, one, one that does stand out. Um, I saw Deep Purple uh, on their reunion tour. I think that was in '84, and Ian Pace is just one of my favorite drummers of all time. He's just so steady. And so good, and, and and he played a solo that that I thought was outstanding. I mean, you know, the obvious answer is anytime you went to a, a Rush show and and saw Neil Neil Peart uh, play a solo, it, it was mind boggling. Uh, you know, because most of the time in most of these drum solos, you know, even if I can't do it, I can understand what what the drummer is hitting or what combinations he's doing to create that sound. And, and there were, there were times with, with Neil where I, I just, I, I don't know how he's doing that. Um, you know, I, I, I remember seeing Frank Zappa, uh, in Syracuse, uh, and Chad Wackerman played the drums. And, uh, uh, that was, that was without a question, the tightest band I, I've ever seen. Um, and I can't, necessarily recall whether Chad actually did a drum solo during that set. I tried to find the set list. It didn't list a drum solo, but I have a recollection of, of Chad doing a drum solo. And, and I thought, you know, regardless of whether he did or did not do a drum solo during that set, I thought Chad Wackerman's performance with Frank Zappa was the most impressive drum performance I've ever seen live. Um, and, and it was because of the music, obviously. Um, and, and beyond the fact that Chad Wackerman is an unbelievably talented drummer. But the stops and starts and the different time signatures and how Chad was just there, you know, step for step for step for step without any, you know, hesitation or anything and anticipating the beats. I, I, that, that to me overall, solo or not, Chad Wackerman's performance with Frank Zappa, I think that was 88. Um, that was the most important, impressive live drum performance I've ever seen. Um, and Stu has a second part. Uh, and, and, you know, I could probably do a whole drum podcast, you know, as well. I love this stuff. Is there a specific drummer you regret not getting a chance to see in person? And, and, and you know, thinking about that, two guys come to mind. Um, you know, uh, one, the, the jazz drummers, the, the classic jazz drummers are all just, you know, they're, they're just on a different stratosphere with some of the stuff they can do with, with some of their rudiments and some of their phrasing and, and just how they can play and improvise. But uh, one guy I would have loved to see in live would have been Art Blakely. Uh, I'm just, I, I love watching his stuff on YouTube. I know everyone says Gene Krupa and uh, Buddy Rich and yeah, they, they were fantastic each in their own way. Um, but, but Art 
Art Blakely was really the guy I, I just would have loved to to seen live. And, and then in terms of a rock drummer, I would love to see Barry Moore Barlow, who was the longtime drummer for uh, Jethro Tull, did some work with Robert Plant in the early 80s as well. Um, but he was with uh, Tull through the 70s. And uh, um, the drum solo Barry Moore Barlow plays on Tull's live album, Bursting Out, is just unreal loved it and i've loved seeing some of the videos of him playing he was you know he was probably the guy with the drum set when i was a kid you know i i, I love looking at drum sets and i was fascinated by by, by barrymore barlow's drum setup it was a really big kit but it wasn't like a big kit some kits are just big you know to be big you know, um, and, and then it turns out the drummer could play the same set, you know, on a four piece. Um, but but Barry Moore Barlow's, uh, like Neil Peart's kit, there was a, a specific reason for everything that he had. And, and I just thought, I, I think he's a marvelous drummer. And I really wish, uh, you know, I could see him live as well. So uh, there you go. That's uh, we'll end the Island Ice podcast with some drum talk. And uh Thank you so much for your questions. Uh, It's been a pleasure uh, discussing some Islanders stuff with you. Again, um, the Island Ice podcast, we'll try and uh, keep them out as regularly as possible until there is hockey again. I hope to have some more uh, audio interviews coming up. Hope to do some more Andrew's answers in upcoming episodes. And want to, again, just shout out to everyone, uh, especially the health workers and everyone keeping us safe. And, uh, you know, be well, everyone. Um, You know, I hope everyone's families are doing well. I know we've all been impacted by this. As a collective, we will all come out of this and we will all, you know, get back to life eventually. We will get back to hockey. Um, uh, special thank you to, uh, uh, my, my, my co-conspirator on Island Ice, Mark LaMonica. It's, uh, I enjoy chatting with him every now and again. Uh, if you haven't, um, he covers the UFC, which is having some live events. So, uh, check out Mark's, uh, UFC coverage. Uh, you know, uh, if you're looking for past Island Ice podcasts, if you're new to this, uh, you can find everything Islanders on newsday.com backslash sports. Um, there's an Islanders page with everything on that, and even the Island Ice is on the main sports page. Uh, you can find all those stories I've written about the 1980 Islanders there. You can find me on Twitter always at Agros Newsday. You can find this podcast uh, on all podcast platforms, SoundCloud, on our website, as I've mentioned. It's on Google. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple, uh, wherever. Please rate. Please uh, leave a comment. Please subscribe uh, so you'll know exactly when we drop another Island Dice podcast. And uh, for now, that would be it for episode 30. I thank you all. Be well. Be safe. And I will talk to you again soon.